Yeah, grab your Bible and turn to Philippians, and let's uh, let's jump back in here and let's see if we can very quickly uh, review where we've been since it's been an awfully long time, and come up to the section that we want to look at today. Should I ask whether or not you've been reading Philippians, or should I wait till next week to ask that? Yeah, um, Philippians. Let's just uh, let's just read uh, from the beginning, just to kind of remember where we've been, and, and then we'll get up to that section where we left off. Uh, after introducing his letter in verses one and two, uh, he writes this: "I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now." And, we talked about that, how the Philippians had been near and dear to Paul from the beginning. He had been a part of establishing the church there in Philippi. And um, when he thought about the Philippians, he thought about brothers and sisters that had supported him and been with him uh, from the beginning. And that was a great source of encouragement for him. Uh, verse 6, For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. And we would just as much appreciate Paul's encouragement that God will complete the work that he started. Um, are there days when you feel like maybe God isn't going to complete the work? Uh, we were... Um, I, uh, we've been redoing our flower bed out in front of our uh, house and we had some holly bushes that got out of control and we were unable, unable to prune them to a more reasonable and nice looking size so we decided it was time to rip them out and replace them with something a little more manageable. And uh, as we got under there, the branches on these hollies were huge. Um, and uh, you know, any project where you have to get out your chainsaw is a good one in my mind, but um, I mean, hours and hours. I broke a shovel. I'd knocked the chain off of my chainsaw a couple of times, um, trying to get these roots. And Alan's helping me. Alan's there helping me. He's, he's, he's my big helper. And I'm just pulling and yanking and cutting and pulling and scooping. And I'm pulling roots out of the ground that are, you know, three, four, five feet long. And I, I looked over at him. I said, um, sin's like this, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, we had a little object lesson there, and and I, I was sitting there thinking, I said, this is like battling sin. It's like you, know, you keep pulling your more into the ground. You think you get it out, and you just discover more, right? And and on days like that, it's it's a it's a great reminder to remember that even though the roots of sin go deep, and the battle is long, uh, that God has promised to finish the work that He started. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with fruit, the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Now remember, that's the, that's the special elite group 
of uh, officers that would have been around the Roman emperor himself. So that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So he's looking around. He says, um, I know I'm in prison and I should be discouraged about that. But frankly, I'm having ministry opportunities that I would not have had if I was a free man. And the fact that some of us, we learn later on in the, in the book that even some of Caesar's own household are coming to faith because of this, this crazy apostle Paul that just won't be quiet about the gospel. Verse 15, he says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So so you see what's going on. There are people that are encouraged in the church at Paul's imprisonment because they see his faithfulness, and that encourages them to be faithful and go out and minister the gospel. So they're doing that. But there's this group of guys that are out there that are, that are clearly not either either not believers or, or they're heretics in some way. And they thought, yeah, we can get to this apostle Paul by going out and pretending like we're on his side. Um, and causing him distress, knowing that Paul would say, well, these guys aren't on our team. These guys are not orthodox believers. But Paul's perspective is really interesting. He says, whether they're proclaiming the gospel out of selfish ambition, trying to cause him distress, or from pure motives, what's his conclusion? Verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Um, we talked last time about how God can and does use our enemies and how this divine perspective that he presents here uh, is one of the challenges of the book, that we would see what God is doing even in the midst of uh, people that seem to oppose us. Okay, well, let's turn, turn the page in our notes here and uh, let's look at the section we're going to look at today. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now this verse, as we, uh, as we begin this new section here, poses immediately a couple of challenges. And I want to just kind of think through some of these challenges uh, together with you. Um, the, the first real question we have to answer is, what is the nature of the deliverance that he mentions here in verse 19? Uh, you'll notice he is confident that he has guaranteed deliverance. And that's what he says. He says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. And then he says it again, uh, later on at the uh, a couple verses down, he knows he's going to be delivered. Now, here's the problem. Anybody have a different version uh, that says, this shall turn out for my deliverance, something other than deliverance in your Bible? Just look at the text there. Anybody have a different translation or does everybody say deliverance? Okay. You know what the word is? It's the normal word for salvation. And uh, if you have a New American Standard, uh, if you notice, do you have a funny-looking diamond in front of the word deliverance or a little little box or something next to the word? Okay, the New American Standard, when it chooses to translate a word 
and they feel like telling you what the literal translation is helpful to the reader, they'll put a little note next to the word, and then if you look over at the column, if you'll find, you find the verse in the column uh, next to the text. Mine has a little diamond shape next to the word deliverance, and then if I go over to the little column to the side and I look up verse 19, it says, or salvation. Do you guys see that there in your Bibles? Okay. Now the question is, what is he talking about here? Because you understand that the, the, the word group, the, the word for salvation is broad enough to include what you might call deliverance from physical danger. It can mean that, you know, I'm drowning in a river, someone throws me um, a life jacket or a life, so they throw me something and I grab onto it and I'm delivered from the danger. That's, that's what the word can mean. But as you know, often this this word can be used in a spiritual sense to talk about uh, spiritual salvation. I'm delivered from the ultimate danger, so to speak, and that is hell and judgment and my sin. So I thought it would be fun, since it's in the morning and you guys are tired, I thought it would be fun to try to figure this out together. What does it mean? Is he talking about a physical deliverance? He's in prison, right? So deliverance by context could mean he's delivered from prison, right? Or it also could mean deliverance in the ultimate sense, meaning when I die, I will not be judged for my sin. I will be delivered ultimately and go to be with Christ, my Savior, in heaven. Which one is it? Both. Okay, I got both. I'm seeing a third choice. What's the third choice? Okay. Okay. I understand what you're saying. How is that some form of deliverance? Because I, 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 I'm totally tracking with you. How is that deliverance? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Yeah, Bill. Context. 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 Give Give me some context. Verse twenty. Yeah. Um, you know, he's expecting and hoping that he won't be ashamed. What's he worried about being ashamed of? That he won't stand up for Christ in boldness. What does it say there? Boldness. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ will be exalted. Yeah, and, and that, you're, you're on the right track. You're definitely on the right track. What, look at the end of verse 20. That Christ will be exalted. He will be magnified in my body. What's the last part? What does that tell you about his expectation? Yeah, and, and and that's really what he's talking about. Is he's he's most concerned with exalting Christ, whether he lives or whether he dies. But the fact that twenty says it's sort of a toss-up. What does that tell you about? I know that I will be delivered. I know that I will be saved. What does that tell you? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
we're going to see later on that his, his best guess is that he's going to be delivered from prison. But we see here in verse 20 that really what he's talking about is, you know what, whether I stay here in this prison or whether God lets me go, um, that I know I have a secure salvation um, in that. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, uh, Max said both. Uh, and it's funny because I think here he really is talking about an ultimate deliverance, an ultimate salvation. But later on he's going to say, yeah, but I still think I'm going to get out of prison because you guys still need some help. Talking to the Philippians. Um, but, yeah, verse 20 kind of tips the scale to help us to see that he's not confident at all that he's going to get out. He thinks he will, but he, he can't say that for certain. Because um, he says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Um, now, how will this deliverance come about? This is, this is interesting, too. Look at verse 19 again. He says, I know this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What two things contribute to this salvation or this deliverance? Other people praying and what? Does that challenge your theology a little bit? Maybe you didn't get it. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance, for my salvation, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he takes two things that we don't think should be on the same level and connects them. Did you see that there? He takes the prayers of people and the work of God's Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what? Do you know those two things work in concert? You know, in, in extreme circles, sometimes they say, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do, right? He's just sovereign. He runs the whole universe and, you know, no one can thwart his plan. I've read Isaiah, you know, they understand that. So what's the point of praying? And there are other people that think that praying somehow in a mysterious way, motivates and moves the hand of God to do whatever they want him to do, like he's a genie in a lamp. And both of those things are not true scripturally because they're, they're imbalanced. But what do you, what do you see here? What, what, is, what is the connection of how these two things work together in this verse? I'm making you think this morning, aren't I? What's the connection? Well, it takes both. And hopefully, I mean, I don't know, some people say, you know, at the end of their prayer, they always say, like it's God's will. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cover kind of. Right. <laughs> okay, Lord, this is what we want, but mm -hmm. you know that you really are in control. Mm -hmm. Someone else want to take a stab at it? Wes? All right, so there's a connection there, sure, good. Here, when I read this and I went, huh, do you think of your prayers for other people as being part of the Holy Spirit's work in that person's life? Does that make sense? That, that 
somehow, and, and, and this is where Keith, you know, I, I'm a recovering former engineer. You understand that, right? Um, we don't have the schematic. We don't know how it fits together. The Bible doesn't tell us, but in some mysterious way, God says, people, I want you to pray. And those, those prayers are not a ritual. Those prayers are not just, God's not giving us busy work when he tells us to pray. We understand that, right? He's not just, you know, going through the motions, nor is prayer ultimately, I shouldn't say that, nor is prayer solely for our benefit, although certainly we gain lots of benefits from praying because it teaches us to depend on God. But in some way that we can understand, what God is saying is the prayers of God's people are woven in and connected and work in concert with the Spirit of God as He is alive and well, working and reigning and bringing about change in the life of people. And so in some way that we can't quite wrap our brains around, what he's saying is when the Philippians pray that those work, as it were, as one of the Spirit's tools in what that Holy Spirit does in Paul's life in terms of his salvation and deliverance. Dave. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good analogy in the sense that God certainly doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Um, but I was just very challenged by this because um, while we don't want to see prayer as some mystical exercise that, that obligates God to do things, I think that's an that's a erroneous view of prayer. I was personally challenged that that my prayers somehow work in concert with the Holy Spirit's work in life of other people. And that just, that just blew me away. Wow. So, so how are we praying? How are we praying? Yeah. yeah, I think it's both. I think, as I alluded to a minute ago, when we pray, it certainly is our, for our benefit because it, it really helps us to depend on the Lord and to lean on Him and to trust Him. Um, but what this verse is really emphasizing is our role of prayer as it works, as the Spirit utilizes, takes those into account in some way in the life of other people. So I'd say it's, I'd say it's both. It, it benefits the person praying, and it benefits the person that's on the recipient side of the prayer. So that would imply without your prayers, the outcome would be good. That's what it implies. Now, immediately the comeback is, but God is sovereign, and he's in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Well, that's true. And that's, that's that sort of sovereignty, human responsibility thing. We've been here before, haven't we? Um, God runs his universe. He doesn't need our help. 
Uh, no one can thwart his plan. That's true. But he's saying, in some way, I am considering the prayers of my people in that equation of how he's running the universe. And I don't know how that works, but he does it. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Well, he does define it because, as Bill pointed out a minute ago, what he's mainly thinking about is salvation in the ultimate sense of being faithful to the end, to glorify God, to, to, um, to not, how did you say it? You said a minute ago, you know, that he, he wouldn't, um, uh, he wouldn't be put to shame by not being bold for Christ. Yeah, that's the real deliverance that he's, he has in view here whether he stays in prison or not, that he would exalt Christ in his body. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would purport that it's possible that it is his sovereign will that we pray, because as he refers to the spiritual warfare side of things, mm-hmm. he chooses to work through men. That's right. By his choice. Yeah. And that is astounding mm-hmm. to the angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's, that's probably said better than I said it a minute ago, that, that he considers that in his sovereign will. That's good. But anyway, I just are you challenged by that verse? Okay, I think there's a challenge in verse uh, 19 as we think about our prayers and the role in life of the, how the Holy Spirit works in others. So there's prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ there. Uh, question number three, what does Paul mean by, I will not be put to shame in anything? He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame, I, I shall not be ashamed in anything. But, but look what he says, but that with all boldness, Christ, even now, as always, shall be exalted in my body, whether by life or whether by death. What is, what is one of the dangers of going through a trial as it relates to your Christian testimony? What's one of the dangers? Yeah, you understand, Paul's trial was pretty significant. He's, he's in prison because he's preached the gospel. Um, he's not able to do and have the freedom to do a lot of the things he wants to do. But just think about that in a more broad sense. I mean, what, what Paul is saying is, my hope, my goal is that I would continue to be bold for Christ and that he would be exalted in my body. That word exalted is a wonderful word. It means to be magnified. It means that Jesus would not just be seen in me through my life, but he would be seen really big. So what's his earnest expectation and hope? What's his goal? What's the type of salvation or deliverance that he's wanting and he's knowing? Is that he will continue to exalt Christ with all boldness, whether he lives or whether he dies. The, the danger, and, and maybe we can put Paul aside and, and you can think about your latest trial for a moment. The, the danger is, in a trial, 
You, know, you understand, trials serve a number of purposes in the life of the believer. What they're supposed to do, the reason God gives us trials, amongst other reasons, is because a trial provides a context for people to see Christ in a big way more than he does when life is just sort of moving along. That's the point. And the danger in a trial is that instead of turning to Christ in the trial so that people can see, according to 2 Corinthians 12, his strength on display, his mighty power, his grace, and people go, wow, what a God you have. The danger is that we would turn away from Christ in that trial to anger, frustration, lack of faith, and, and okay, and, and we, we end up demeaning Christ in the trial instead of exalting him in the trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's a there's a parallel track here, and that is, do we have this struggle when life is ordinary, right? right. And that that's 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 a that's a challenge too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there any progress in anything without struggle? Yes. That usually not. Yeah, usually not. Perhaps the prayers that you're talking about are, mm-hmm. are more because if you read it as mm-hmm. in context here, mm-hmm. deliverance or salvation, the salvation he's saying is coming through prayers mm-hmm. and, and the Holy Spirit. Well, mm-hmm. our salvation doesn't come, our initial salvation. Right. Uh, right. I think this is maybe his sanctification, his continual. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that, that the, in thinking about his spiritual salvation, what he has particularly in mind is remaining faithful in his witness. Yeah, I agree with that. And even that um, is, I appreciate you saying it like that, that clearly. Um, is there a footnote in there about how we should be praying for people? I mean, we, we may be praying that the trial go away, but is there a greater prayer that just says, pray that they would be faithful in the midst of that trial, whether it goes away or not, right? Because that's what he's saying about himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Whether he lives or he dies, right. it doesn't really matter. Yes. Yeah. And that's... And that's where he goes here is uh, the end of verse 20. What's his goal, right? What's his goal in life? To magnify Christ whether he lives or dies, right? That's his goal. Um, that whether he stays in prison, whether he's delivered from prison, that it, it, it really, neither one of those ultimately matters in the sense of what God is calling him to do and be, and that is to be bold for Christ and that Christ would be exalted in his body. Now, let's talk about living and dying for a minute because Paul is going to bring up the subject here. Paul says, dying is about being with Christ, which is the very much better option, according to Paul. See what he says there? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Um, How do you think about dying? Do you think about dying? I uh, went to visit somebody this last week who's probably going to die soon. And, um, you know, those visits go very differently than somebody who's in good health. Have you noticed that? And there's something about imminent death that puts a lot of things in perspective. And Paul, who is in similar circumstances to where it is certainly possible that he will be dying soon. He, did, he didn't have any you know, revelation as far as we know whether he would be delivered or not. But knowing that that was a potential possibility, he, he started thinking about his death. And he says two things about his death in this, in this text here. What, what are the two things he says? He says, if God chooses to end my life right now, there, there are two things, there are two ways I'm going to look at that. Look back at the text and tell me what they are. One's in verse 21 and one's in verse 23. Yeah, um, he, he says two things about death. If God chose to end his life, he describes death in two different ways. One in verse 21 and one in verse 23. What's it say in 21? Does that challenge you? To die is gain? And he sort of explains the gain in 23. He says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Why is it gain? You're with Christ. John Piper, I think it's in his book, God is the Gospel, asks this question. If you could have all of the benefits of heaven but Christ wasn't there, would you still want to go? That's a challenging question. This man, Paul, had such a clear view of what it meant to be with Christ in heaven that as he looked around at his life, as he looked at all the benefits of friends and family, ministry, all the things, all the good things that there were to live for, he said, yo, those are good things, but if I die, gain. No questions. It is, as he says, the very much better option. Yes, Carrie. Yeah, um... I agree. And, and again, this, this text is full of challenges for us. And, and this challenge is, we'll talk about it in a minute, but this challenge is, do we view death as gain? Do, do we view having Christ as being better than the loss of all the things that we lose when we physically die? 
Um, and if the answer is, I don't know, or no, it's not, what does that say about how we value or how we lack a value of Christ? We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Look at what he thinks about in terms of life. What's life about? What's living about? Living is about honoring Christ by engaging in fruitful labor for the progress of faith and the joy of others. Look at verse 22. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. So it's interesting, just as we were talking about a minute ago, is living and dying, living and dying. What, you know, not that it's up to him, but he's going back and forth. You know, just, just sort of having a, a mental exercise. If it were up to me, what would I choose? Living or dying? Well, living, it's, it's, uh, dying is Christ. It's gained. I get to be with my Savior. Living, and you, you notice what's not here? I lose my house. I lose my family. I lose my friends. I lose playing golf every Saturday. Uh, you notice all the things that aren't here? What, what's the one thing that causes him to want to live a little longer? Ministry. What's the one thing you can take to heaven with you? What's that? Yeah, the fruit. Paul gives him, I think, another insight into how he thinks about that in Second Timothy, where he's now resigned to the fact that he's he's going to die. That's right. That's good. Right, yeah, yeah, and and that's and that's a good sort of resolution to that tension, where he felt like he did get to the work to the point where he finished his ministry. That's good. Oh, I know. <laughs> Maybe we all don't have that benefit, but it's neat that it does happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the one thing you can take to heaven is, as Jack said, the fruit of your ministry, which really comes down to people. Right. Um. So, okay, so again, we go back to this hypothetical thing. If I had the choice of whether to continue living or to die, the thing that should be motivating me to go to heaven is Christ. And the thing that should be motivating me to stay here is not all the other benefits, it's ministry. And, and notice, and, and ministry is not, not here like, you know, I'm just doing this or doing that. But look what he says here. He says, fruitful, what's the next word? Labor. It makes you think of Colossians 1, 28 29. He says, For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, Paul was not a you know, sit-on-the-sidelines Christian. Um, he was engaged in, in work and uh, hard work and labor. 
And what is his motivation to continue living? Verse 24, he says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he's not, this is amazing. As he thinks about not dying and living a little longer, he's not thinking about it selfishly. I want this. I want that. I have these other benefits. I have these other needs. I have these other things that I'm going to miss. He looks around and he says, I want to keep living for your sake. What planet is this guy from? Does that not challenge you again? His motivation to continue living was not selfish. It was a conviction that there was ministry to be done for which he was responsible. And verse 25, that's where he ends up. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the face. So, so again, you know, he, he doesn't have a divine crystal ball to look into, but as he looks around, he has, as, as Jack mentioned, he has a sense that his ministry is not complete. He hasn't finished the course yet. He sees the needs, especially amongst the Philippians, and he says, well, I see that, so I'm pretty sure that I still have some life to live because there's ministry to be done. So convinced that there is still need for his ministry, Paul concludes that he will not die as a result of his imprisonment. And this verse is a little bit awkward, so I I wrote out what you might call just a translation of it so that you can kind of understand. I thought the ESV, and he has an ESV version, I thought the ESV handled this verse a little better than the NASB. Because the NASB says, your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. And that sounds like they're, they're being proud of Paul. And that's actually not what the the Greek text says. It says something more like this. Their confidence in Christ may abound even more because of Paul's coming to them again. So what they're saying is it's, it's it's the fruit of what Paul wants to happen back in verse 20, that because of his continued ministry to the Philippians, Christ would continue to be exalted in the life and hearts of the Philippians. And their confidence in Christ would grow, not their confidence or, or pride in Paul. It's very important that you see that. Okay, now, what do we do with all this? Uh, this is a challenging section, so let's just ask some questions of ourselves, and we'll, we can meditate on these throughout the week here. Fill in the blank. For me, to live is... Well, that's what it should be, right? Is, is that true for us? Isn't that, isn't that just that one question? It just challenged the socks off of us. What, what is, you know, when we're... Hmm, the beginning of my prayer journal, I have a statement. Who I am before God is who I really am. So, honestly, before God, he's looking at our hearts. For me, to live is, life is about, fill the blank in. And Paul says, you know what it is for me? Is Christ. It's about ministry. It's about people. It's about benefiting others with the gospel. It's about completing my course. I appreciate what Jack said. We, we, don't all, we don't all have the... 
maybe the opportunity to know that we finished our course, but maybe we can just ask this question. Do you know what your ministry course is? And, and maybe that means being a missionary in Papua New Guinea or Guatemala or Cambodia. Maybe it's you've got one or two people in your life right now that God has opened doors for gospel opportunity. And, and completing your course is faithfulness in gospel ministry to those relationships. Or maybe you're a parent and your ministry is about evangelizing those short people that keep hanging around your house. And there are days, frankly, that you get so frustrated with how that works that you, you, you lose sight of that. Fill the blank in. Number two, what do we honestly think about dying? That's a tough one too, isn't it? And probably unless you've had a close encounter of an accident or something like that recently or, or if, unless you have poor health or something along those lines, you probably haven't thought about this lately. And yet um, spending time with people that are dying and reading texts like this help us to keep things in perspective so that when our day does come and we know that death is imminent for us, our hearts are trained. You, understand? You, you, don't, you don't train yourself to die well when you're in the middle of it. You train yourself to die well when you're not in the middle of it. Number three, what's motivating our desire to live right now? When I answered that question for myself this week, recently, it fell woefully short of Paul's example. Um, this, is, this, is one of those, this is one of those verses that we need to have on a verse card and just put it on the car, on the mirror, in the bathroom, at the office, on the computer screen, make it the wallpaper on your iPhone, whatever you do. Because living is about Christ. And, and the desire to live should be gospel-related. Because think about it. If we were to die today, we go to heaven. We'd be with Jesus. That's dying is gain, right? So why are we here? Why are we here? Because there's a course to complete. There's, there's a mission to accomplish. There are people that, that God has ordained to use us in ministry toward. There's fruitful labor. Um, there are people that, that have needs, and God has put us in their life to minister the gospel to those things. And then the second part to that question is, how faithful are we being in that fruitful labor? Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like every day walking with God is mainly about keeping the main thing the main thing and avoiding a thousand distractions. Do you feel like that? There are lots of good things. I mean, there are lot of, lots of noble causes. There are lots of things we can... And there are necessary things. Most of us have to work and most of us have to maintain you know, our health and probably a means of living. And okay, Those are necessary things. But, but in the middle of all that, what, what's the goal? What's driving it? What's the main desire? What's the main passion? And, and, and you know, can we do all those other things while keeping the main thing the main thing? And that's the hard part. 
And finally, what's your goal whether you live or die? Um, I, I think Paul has given us just, and you know, Paul's not preaching to us here. Have you noticed that? He's not telling us to do anything. He's just saying, here's my struggle. And his struggle is convicting the fire probably out of most of us. But that's the, that's, that's, that's the ministry purpose of this book is we read about this man who walked with God and we see his example. And I think I fall so fall far short of that, but I want to be like that. Do you? Our goal, whether we live or die, should be that, that Christ, as it were, remember that word, is magnified in our life, is magnified in our example. Whether we live or whether we die, whether the things are good, whether we're going through a trial, um, that we will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall, even now, as always, be exalted, be magnified, be lifted up, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's pray that God would burn these things on our hearts and give us resolve and courage by His grace to take steps of obedience in the right direction this week. Uh, Father, these sec- this section of Scripture really is challenging. And Father, we confess that there is a lot more work that you need to do in our hearts. Uh, But we, Father, we want this. We want to say with Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. We, We want the passion of our life to be the people, the fruit and ministry, the opportunities for the gospel that you're giving us. And we want to finish our course. We want to die well whenever that time is. And Father, we want to be undistracted. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us us grace to walk in this manner. Give, Give us grace to make changes this week as we see other things, probably good things that are choking out the most important things. In fact, might we be able to just resonate with Paul that our greatest passion is that Christ would be magnified in our life. Whether that life is good or whether it's a struggle, whether it seems ordinary or whether it seems like we have amazing opportunities, whatever it might be, we pray that we would not be put to shame through a poor testimony, but that we would be like a a spiritual microscope that would magnify and extend and, and cause people to see that you are exalted, that you are awesome, and that you alone are worthy of our life and our worship. Father, we love you. Would you do that work in our hearts? And as we learn today, might we be praying for one another that you would be exalted in our life in this way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.